0: Thank you again for joining me on the Original Slacker Podcast, presented by Round Guys Brewing Company. I'm your host, Bill McGinney. This is going to be a fun, beer-centric podcast, getting back to the roots a little bit, guys. Uh, when I we started this podcast, it was trying to balance the entertainment portion of our brand, which is the Underground, of course, where we get a lot of great live shows in there, underground.roundguysbrewery.com, uh, with the beer culture side, which is the part that I love both of these equally, but the beer culture side is probably the part where I most understand and have the, the most input I can provide personally, and it it provides some good conversation. So today, I have Matt Lindemuth, the Larimer himself, um, from Saucony Creek Brewing Company. Then I also have Gary Monteroso, who's been a industry journalist for over 25 years. These guys are great, great. Sources of knowledge, great people to talk with. It's always fun to talk with a fellow brewer, a fellow industry a participant, a fellow brewery owner. Uh, and and Gary just has so many insightful stories. He's a great guy. He's really entertaining. I actually met Gary for the first time years ago at a beer event, the Valley Forge Beer Fest, where he came along and, and interviewed me for his show, What's On Tap. And Gary's been Gary's been everywhere on the History Channel he's BBC, he's he's done it all. So, this will be a very fun podcast. If you want to know more about Round Guy's Brewing Company, we're located up in Lansdale, Pennsylvania. We have a brew pub up there, brew pub, Lansdale Brew Pub, which has 16 freshly brewed beers on draft, full service bar, including cocktails, cider, uh, wine. We also have food, all foods you need. You need breakfast, well not breakfast, I'm sorry, we have brunch, we have lunch, dinner, and desserts. And then We're going to be opening up Glenside, the Glenside Ale House, which is going to be another eatery, uh, bar establishment by us, and I'll be opening up soon, probably sometime in in late July, uh, late August range. That's the ballpark we're targeting at the moment, and I'll have more information on that as it becomes available. Also, as I'm sure you guys are aware of, we have The Underground, which is a live music space where we get tons of shows, great, so we get... Live music in there uh, next month. I know specifically in jazz, we got some hip hop, we got some rap, we got some rock, and we also have, of course, two drag shows, jazz. We have three jazz nights, we got some board games over there, yoga every Monday night. So it's a lot of fun, guys. Check it out. You can find anything you need about Round Guys at roundguysbreed.com or Facebook slash Round Guys. Or if you're interested in the underground, you can go to Facebook slash RGBC Underground and we have everything there you can buy tickets online in advance for any of the shows at the underground without further ado let's jump into this podcast and get going this is kind of a hefty one but it's gonna be a fun one so thanks again for listening guys All right, welcome to another episode of the Original Slacker Podcast. Today, I have Matt Lindenmuth, who... Matt, are you still with Saucony Creek? Yeah, I am. Uh, I still
1: am an owner. I still have uh, half the company at Saucony, and I'm just not involved on, on, like, regular day-to-day operations. Um, uh, But, you know, in major decision-making, I'm still involved, but I've been focused on... Some new projects, so
0: yeah. But, uh, well, why don't is, you? Uh, <laughs> well, before we get what's into, got
1: me busy these days.
0: <laughs> yeah, no doubt, man. I can imagine. I definitely can understand. Um, so, before we jump into your, your new projects and everything, why don't you tell me a little bit about how you got to the spot? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I think it's
1: it's a fairly typical story for for most. Um, you know, I uh, I was traveling um, for many years uh, in. A prior career. Um, I was traveling for work, for work, basically. Um, that was, I spent 17 years in the action sports world and got to, uh, got to, to travel internationally and sort of discover good beers early on. And, and, uh, and with some friends, you know, in that world, I, I started just homebrewing or we together, we started homebrewing, um, you know, so I, I think that's where it's very similar story to, to many that end up opening small breweries, um, home, homebrew hobby gone wild sort of thing. Um, you know, and, and one, that career came to an end for me. Um, I was trying to, you know, find the next journey that I was going to be equally passionate about. And, um, you know, Saucony Creek was born. Um, and, uh, and it's, it's obviously evolved a lot since that initial idea that <laughs> I've got partners involved and there's a restaurant and, we're opening a second location in Redding, uh, which is in the works. So um Saucony's become its own little monster um, and, uh, you know, kind of turned our focus toward more of the brew pub uh, atmosphere instead of trying to uh, really build out distribution. But, yeah, it's um, it's been a fun little adventure. It's been six years now.
2: I'm a lot older than you are a hell of a lot older, but I go back to the days when you found maybe three or four different brands on the shelf and they were all basically putting out the same type product. And when companies, at least down here like Dock Street and uh, my gosh, Yark's. I guess certainly Yeah, yeah, and of course Boston beer on a more national level came along, it was like, wow, what the hell is this stuff? It's just so different. i had yeah. gotten to the point that I had gotten tired of beer that was present and available back in the eighties. There was just nothing to it. And it was a trip to um, Brickskeller. Remember the Brickskeller over in D.C.? I think it was Dave Alexander that ran that yeah. place. Uh, it was a school trip. <laughs> <laughs> and <we had> a... <laughs> no, I didn't bring kids. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Good chaperone was... right there. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> it was a night off, and I was sharing a room with one of the parent chaperones. And he said, yeah, Gary, I got a place. He knew He knew I loved beer. I got a place I want to take you to. And he brought me to this place, and there were all these cans. I don't know if you'd ever been there back then. No, no. I, old enough to, but, uh, I guess it was like a first psychedelic experience. I felt like he was tin weary <laughs> and I was tripping for the first time because, <laughs> Bill, after that, there was no turning back. There was no turning back. I couldn't drink uh, the, the mass marketed beers any, any longer. That just, just wouldn't happen.
0: hey i want to go back a little bit all right so so you're traveling around the world doing the action sports thing um for those yeah. who don't know you're part you did the x games a couple of years how many years were the x games well i was
1: uh x games well so i started competing professionally rollerblade halfpipe in 1994 um x Games started in 95 so i was with x games summer x games 95 to 2003 or 4 i had a uh, Broken a leg in there somewhere, and I commentated for a year. And toward the end there, um, and then I started competing uh, professionally with snowboard halfpipe, and uh, was uh, traveling and training, uh, like with a lot of the U.S. team. And um, yeah, and so those those were a lot of influential
0: years to what I'm doing now. <laughs> well, when you're when you're doing that, where did you go that actually opened up your eyes to the, to craft beer? Where was it? What was the um, location that really that you sat down that one well, night, or every time you traveled? I mean, back? I was under I was underage when this all went down, so
1: I mean, so I we was, won't talk
0: about that. Don't worry about that part.
1: No, no. I mean, it was it was it was legal where I was at. So I mean, I was spending many months a year in in Europe. I was spending a lot of time in Germany and Switzerland, Belgium. Um. So I was exposed to good beer in Europe uh, prior to here um because i was able to get a beer while i was over there at age 14 15 and on
0: and what was the beer i'm um, just curious like what which beer was it that stuck out in your mind
1: uh i mean honestly it was more it was more the culture um but i mean i like i i went to oktoberfest when i was 14 and <laughs> uh uh i had no clue what was going on i had no clue what beers i was drinking honestly um i was just fascinated with the culture and and um Eventually, I did come home, you know, and I went to an underage high school party and was handed like a, who knows, like a (laughs) Keystone Light or a Natty Ice or yeah, something. And I'm like, this stuff sucks. And I started, I think I drank, uh, you know, whiskey and Cokes that night instead because I was like, you know, I I had this totally different experience and um, understanding of what beer was.
0: Yeah, Um, right. I mean, I it's, it, it's just swill, right? I was swill, very naive right? to it. The party, yeah, the I mean, party I, drinks are just swill. No one had a clue. It really took until the late 90s for much of the nation to even start getting on the bandwagon. I remember when I was in college, I'm the same age as you, so I, like I was in college when 99 to 03, right? And that's when I started seeing Sam Adams and Sierra Nevada and all the uh, the grandfathers of craft, per se, like really correct. hitting full distribution everywhere. And you start yeah. seeing different flavored beers. You go into different places like downtown Pittsburgh, and you might have a craft beer bar. So right there, you heard some insights from Matt and from Gary about their experiences finding and discovering craft beer. Next up, we're going to talk about the culture. What about this culture of craft beer that really brings people together? What is it? Why why, why are we doing this? Why is craft beer such a thing right now at this moment? So you get started. So you're out there doing this on the side, right? Because you're still teaching probably. Yeah, I was
2: teaching, yeah. yeah.
0: I mean, I assume $20 a month isn't really going to get you too far. <laughs> That's a wild assumption.
2: (laughs) Not all the principals were were thrilled about it either. We're going back, you know, quite a few years, going back to the 80s. It was a different world back then. But hey, I was writing about beer. I had an assistant principal once say, Gary, you should write about water and not beer. And I said, then you and I are going to be the sole readers of this. I said, people don't want to read at this time about water. (laughs) (laughs) A total, a, a real teetotaler is what she was. Nice lady, but. Didn't understand what the hell I was doing.
0: Well, for the longest time, the beer industry just had that reputation. The Reputation of, you know, you're making you're making swill, you're making 40s, you're giving people brown bags. It had that reputation even into the early 2000s. It's still, you know, the, the craft beer industry wasn't yet differentiated enough, I think, in the mind of the general consumer. It was just something fun, like you drink beer to get drunk. And I think that's what changed about the craft beer industry and what, how it changed society is that you don't drink beer to get drunk. You drink beer for the flavor. Yeah, you might get a little tipsy and whatever, but you're not sitting there trying to throw back a lot of beers. You're drinking it because you want to have a certain characteristic, an enjoyment, a pleasure from it, not just because your day was a long day and, and you want to throw back you know, five bush lights, right?
2: This was one of the topics that came up on, on my show, which, as you know, is called What's on Tap, just this past weekend. We were talking about how so many here in southern New Jersey, let's call them dry towns, are now welcoming breweries coming in because they're realizing that it brings it brings in a good class of people well, as you mentioned you're going there for the flavor you're not going there to get bombed or to cause any type of ruckus or anything like that and they're realizing that tourism dollars are coming into these little communities in fact we just got word a couple of weeks ago of a again a small town in jersey that was dry they have welcomed in two breweries and now they're going to have a, a beer festival this summer so they're coming oh, wow. bringing in yeah so that's like gone 180 degrees you, you were so right there were years many many years when breweries were not welcome they didn't want them they were bad neighbors well what did these brewers do guess what they started making sodas maybe a root beer for a, a dime off off the dollar you know and in some cases donate it to high schools for their football games or sell it at a very reasonable price or just get involved in community activities so brewers breweries are in fact good neighbors <laughs>
1: I was used to, you go to the, you know, back home here, you went to the bars, uh, to go get drunk or have drinks or whatever, where you went to these taverns, restaurants, pubs in and around Europe. Uh, and it was a, it was a community cultural center. It was, this is where we meet up before we go on a bike ride. This is where we meet up Sunday morning and they held church service. I mean, there was... I, there was very wide ranges of things happening right through there the years that I experienced it there wasn't a separation um, in it and I no, think, it wasn't and yeah. now that's what we're seeing you know here now I mean that's like you know you're getting the you're getting the the guys uh, are stopping at the end of a bike ride or that's where they meet up to park cars and go on a ride or you name it um I mean we you know like many breweries we we host yoga at Saucony and Uh, there's just, it's just a totally different mentality. And I'm glad that the paradigm shift happened. Um, I think it's really, again, it just goes back to, I think it's kind of cool that, um, generationally now there's going to be this group of kids every year that are turning 21 and are never going to know anything different than what exists today
0: let's just hope and, they don't want uh, to roll back the clock all right <laughs> let's just hope they don't uh, yeah no. <laughs> they don't go back and find this old uh stamp case from 96 of natty light <laughs> right we don't need and, that and, coming and back.
2: Next we do it a not, not a to it's
0: not the same and i think culture has shifted whereby we might not all go to church anymore right but we mm-hmm. still want to have that community feel and what's the best way to do it is you go into a brewery not because you really want to drink but because there's There's good product in there, but there's also community. You can go in there, you can hang out, you can talk to some friends, you see your neighbors, you have board games sitting there. I know we have even video games, like all the Nintendo, Sega games you could ever imagine. Um, It's fun. It's just a a fun time to hang out and be with your friends and relax. And a lot of these breweries nowadays, you have so many of them and are within walking distance. You don't even have to drive a lot of times. Um, I think that's really, in my mind... The, the shift isn't is that people still want community and they still need community and now breweries are filling that void
2: that is valid first of all let me start by saying congratulations to you guys for all the work that you're doing in your community I think it's remarkable and it's not atypical I'm happy to say that and you know that yep. many many breweries donate and you know just give back to their local communities and the various organizations so uh, I applaud all of you guys for being being a part of that and and Another point that came up again on the show was that we feel, by we, I'm talking about myself and my co-host, we're comfortable in breweries. In some cases, more comfortable in a brewery than in a local bar, for example. Uh, and there's various reasons why. Again, you have that like-minded community. You'll sit to a, sit next to a person who you don't know, and you'll chat beer styles. You may get a flight of beers together you know, and just share them and just talk about what goes into the making of the beer.
0: Thanks again for listening, guys. This is going to wrap up the very preliminary piece of this episode. As you can tell, it actually goes on for another, I don't know, 10 minutes or so. That is going to be a more beer geeky discussion, talking about the craft beer industry as it's changed, as it is with Matt Lindemuth. And then we're also going to talk a little bit about a story, an anecdotal story from Gary regarding the beer writer, the famous beer writer, Mike the issue instrumental beer writer michael jackson and yeah we'll go from there hope to see you guys soon hope you guys are uh, spread the word about the podcast feel free to leave a review it's always getting better you know as i uh, learn more about this i just take more stabs and try to figure everything out, trying to get things going. Summertime is a little more dispersed out than usual, but I really appreciate everyone who stayed along this far and looking forward to gaining some more new friends and whatnot. You can find out more about the podcast, The Original Snacker, through our website, roundguysbrewery.com. You can also find out more about the actual brand, the, the brewery, the beers we have, our new Glenside Alehouse location, and, of course, our event facility, at The Underground, all through roundguysbrewery.com. Thanks once more, guys, and have a great time
1: landscape of the the industry there's there's just less room for error um for for everyone included but uh, yeah to be a new brewery opening up today is is a lot lot yeah, high more expectations, stressful right high expectations yeah. and and obviously you got to be on point um I, you know i think that uh i think that that was expected of of us even you know six years ago and those before us but there was definitely a little bit more room for error. That people had some, um, well, the the general the general consumer was still also being educated a bit too. So um, they kind of learned with with us. <laughs> yeah, know, where, yeah, no, I, uh, I
0: got you, man. I think uh, in general, the Philadelphia consumer, the regional, the Pennsylvania Eastern Pennsylvania regional consumer, is one of the smartest and oh yeah it is absolutely you know i i look at it and you usually don't have bad breweries coming around here even when they're brand new you know they they may do everything right they just may not have everything up to uh like the flavor the recipe production might not be that great yet and that that's not a bad knock that means you're doing everything process-wise perfect you just right. haven't honed in your system yet right
1: yeah um philly you know philly especially on the east on on the, the right coast um is is uh extreme standout, um, for the, uh, the very educated beer consumer. Um, I mean, I, I would say comparable to Oregon, Colorado, Southern California, um, specifically San Diego. I mean, I, I Philly's always been a standout. There's no question. I mean, that's why, uh, that's why places like monks exist. You know, Yeah, well, why, why do you uh, think
0: that is? Why do you think Philly is, like, it, it's not, you know, New York City, Baltimore, <laughs> D.C., these aren't, they're a little more, well, not Baltimore, but, like, New York and D.C. are a little more cosmopolitan, and you got this bubble, yeah. right? Uh, I mean,
1: Philly by no means is, yeah, I mean, there's obviously surrounding large cities of, of cultural diversity, but, um, I, I mean, I think Philly just was sort of blessed with some individuals who were forerunners, um, and they were putting the effort in to, uh, import from Belgium, for example, or, uh, folks like, uh, Nima at Shangie's was, uh, you know, fighting to bring West Coast, uh, American craft eastbound early on, uh, you know, and you got your, you got your Ed Friedlands and, and, Tom Peters and everybody else who, who were, uh, you know, really involved with the, um, the, the import and education of, of Belgian and European beers. And I think that it was, I think there's, a, you know, a, a long before my time of being a part of the, the beer industry, these guys were, were really doing a lot of great stuff. Um, you know, you think then about, uh, yards with very traditional uh beers coming out of the city um and they stuck to their their plan and they they continue to do really well with that and nodding head early on in 95 opening up and and you know starting to introduce berliners and things like that yeah um you know it's just i think that there was that we were just blessed with a a select group of people who were educated and were really willing to put in the time to of course pass that information on to others you know where I don't think that that I, I don't think New York was on that bandwagon. I mean it wasn't they weren't they um uh, I lived in New York for a year and and the craft beer scene at that time sucked <laughs> <laughs> you know it's like you know so Philly just was one of the we, we were lucky with the right people in town that um yeah, we I were don't. ahead of the curve you know you'll think about kids that are turning 21 today um. They're just be due to the due to the 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 culture here in the states plus the change of laws I mean a lot of these kids are never going to drink their grandfather's beer they're never gonna buy a case of beer you know they're go, right. they're going and building six packs now and they're trying to diversify their untapped portfolio um isn't that so, something
0: so the whole idea of getting a case right i mean it's it's gone out the window you go there you get a four pack. Is. You don't even get a six pack anymore. You get a four pack of no. tall boys, which they used to be called tall boys. Now they're just called cans. Um, right. <laughs> so, you know, you go there, you get a four pack, you mix and match it. You come back, get another four pack. One of the things that we do that that I find is is phenomenal is when we so we do a lot of packaging on our own end. We do all of our packaging, but mm-hmm. in house sales and packaging is a it's a big chunk on a day to day revenue, and partly because people come in, they get their food, and then they look at it, and like you know what, I want to take home. It's like you're collecting, you're at a little shop and collecting trinkets or something, you know, uh, you go for the different artwork in a can, you go for the variety pack. And yeah, I I think it's, uh, I don't know if it's good or bad for those kids and not experienced going into a beer distributor and paying 50 bucks for a case that will take until July to finish.
1: Yes. I mean, since we're in the industry, I'd like to think that it's good that they're, um, they're learning earlier than we did maybe, or, or whatnot, or that 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 the industry is in a place for them to have that option, um, especially in Pennsylvania, uh, which obviously is is always home to me. I mean, I think Governor Wolf did a heck of a job changing uh, some old laws to be a little bit more modernized for all of us. And that, I'm saying that as a as a manufacturer. I know some other people in on the retail side were not super happy about all the changes um changes are always tough you know but um those that were forward thinkers i think uh i or i believe uh, you know have taken advantage of it as well, as well as we have because the ability for them to to break down cases and not have to you know force 24 bottles on people
0: yeah right. <laughs> uh,
1: it's just it's just unbelievable i mean it's something that i wish i wish we had earlier because it would have allowed maybe um, uh, you know more discovery of different styles and whatnot, but it's it's good for us as as breweries to be able to to make so many different styles, smaller batch um, runs, and get it out to people um, easier, and and also be a little you know be, you know, focused, like ultra local with things rather than having to fight for shelf space in, in places, you know, just like you mentioned with people coming into the restaurant. Um, so I think that just the culture in general has changed in a great direction because people aren't expecting to go to the distributor for a case anymore. They're thinking, let's go grab dinner and check out what new beers are on.
0: Yeah. And, and it's
1: a really fun time right now.
0: Gary has been pretty much everywhere in the beer world for three decades now man <laughs> you've been it's a,
2: scary yeah since 92.
0: you've been since the almost since the beginning of the craft beer revolution right
2: it seems that way absolutely yeah like I said it's been about 25 26 years now I should celebrate my anniversary and do a big tour
0: yeah yeah man it's uh I mean it's <laughs> it's great yeah you've known greats like Michael Jackson and uh Stan Hieronymus, right
2: yeah, boy. Can I tell you a Michael Jackson story, Bill? While, while oh, I please. You yeah, him? please. <laughs> yeah. I was lucky enough to have met him through Tony Forder of L Street News, whom we all know. And of course, I admired uh, Michael from afar. I got to tell you this. I'm a, I was a teacher. I taught for 41 years. And uh, the parent of one of my students, who was also a personal friend, one day brought me a, a Michael Jackson beer book. And I'm going back to the well, I guess it was the 80s. Right.
0: Yeah,
2: that's the late 80s. Yeah, a long time ago, 80s perhaps. So I took a look at the book. I said, wow, this is fantastic because he knew I loved beer. And I said, wow, if I I could write a column for someone and maybe someone would buy it and use it. (laughs) So I read the book and I approached my local newspaper to review one of Stout's over in Adamstown, Pennsylvania. It's one of Stout's beer fests. And I wrote a thousand words, which is pretty extensive, you know, pictures, the whole thing. And the newspaper loved it. I think maybe 25 people read it, <laughs> and they offered me a monthly gig for I think $20 a month to to write about beer. And I was I was on cloud nine, honestly, I was. Now that's how I got started. And <laughs> I but I got to meet Michael, and Michael and I eventually toured for three or four years as he would come into the U.S. Wow. especially along the East Coast, and he spent a night at my house. Wow, which was so cool. And my dog, who's a Yorkshire Terrier, and Michael was from Yorkshire County. Almost tripped and made him fall down. I thought, holy cow, oh, no. I'm going to oh, kill no. the best beer freighter in the world. Which, which <laughs> Michael was it? Michael sat at my kitchen table on a Tuesday morning, and we did a very informal beer tasting. And he he took me, me to school. Honestly, he did. And I, I got to tell you this about this guy. Having gone to so many breweries with him, he would always say, Gary, give me X number of breweries that I've never gone to. And I would take him to breweries. I remember one time we went to a brewery in southern New Jersey. Brewery since shut down. And Michael was trying a beer, and he says to the brewmaster, he goes, 9% wheat. And the brewmaster was befuddled by it, and he looked at his notes, he goes, 8%. I'm like, holy cow. (laughs) (laughs) It was amazing. But you know, and if Michael, I'm, I'm, I'm on a Michael Jackson thing right now, and I apologize, but he was just my total inspiration. If Michael didn't like some beer, he would always leave the brewer with a positive taste about it. He would always leave on an optimistic note. He'd get into the car and say, "Gary, that beer tasted like whale piss." What
0: would he say to the brewer? What's that? What would he say to the brewer?
2: He would just make subtle suggestions as to things they might consider trying. And of course, when it came from Michael Jackson, they would they would take these suggestions. Of
0: course, yeah, it's Michael yeah. Jackson, and we're talking Michael Jackson, a beer writer, folks, not Michael Jackson, musician. Now, if
2: they're listening to this show, they know damn well who we're talking about. <laughs>
0: Well, what book was it that you reviewed?
2: It was I guess his his first his first book. Maybe it was called what the I don't know if it's called World of Beer or what, but um his first book, it was a hardbound book that uh, this parent gave me. I right. I know I have it in my bookshelf somewhere, we, but uh You know, it's I great. It's great, to we're sign leading it off.
0: it's great reading off. Great off with Michael Jackson when I was up in I was up in Quebec on vacation about a week ago. And I was lucky enough to go to a brewery on my way through town, and it was outside the city, and I was on my way up to, I believe, the Saguenay River, out that uh-huh. way out by Malbay. Okay. And uh, I stopped at a brewery. No one spoke English, or if they did, it wasn't really good English, and I can't really speak French, just basic, you know, bonjour, bravo, blah, blah, <laughs> blah. I, I'm really not good at French. And I was just getting a beer. I got a flight of beer, and I kind of misunderstood what I was getting a little bit, because the, just a translation of what they consider certain styles don't look the same in English as they do in French. But regardless of that, uh, I'm sitting there and I'm just hanging out and finishing up my beers. And this guy comes up and he just gets done doing the shift and gets a shift beer. And he's coming. He, he sees me sitting there and I'm trying to get stuff paid for. And he's like, hey, do you need uh, Wi-Fi or anything? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Why don't you give me some Wi-Fi? So he hooked up my phone with Wi-Fi because I couldn't, again, understand what the hell anyone's t- saying to me. And he was a brewer at this small brewery off outside mm-hmm. of Quebec City. And we go back, and we check out the whole brewery, and we look at it. And a uh, really cool system. They have have their own growler machine. No lie, they have a oh, uh, growler set up. So they sell everything growler, so they pressurize it there. It literally, it's like a keg washer, but for growlers. It's amazing. How cool is that? Yeah, really cool. And... <laughs> I get a card, you know, like we exchange business cards, and, and Max was his name. It's like, hey, when you come back to Quebec City, swing back this way, and what we'll do is, you know, I'll take you around the different breweries in Quebec City, and yeah, it'll be great. So I hit him up on my way back through, because I'm going back towards Montreal, so I have to go through Quebec City, and we hit four different breweries, and him and his uh, girlfriend has a spare bedroom on this really <laughs> wobbly futon that I think I fell off of three times, <laughs> Uh, but I, I woke up, and the thing I see right there on the bookshelf, and you know, this guy's a brewer, right? So you go in, and he's got his kegerator, his full-size fridge kegerator, you know, um, and he has all the books you ever need, has all the homebrew equipment lined up on the side, stacked in a corner, and pretty much where his girlfriend will allow him to have it. And the first book I see isn't, you know, a traveling books, not a school book or anything like that, it's Michael Jackson's. World of Beer in French. World of Beer, yeah. In French,
2: yep. So oh, right in there. French, it in French, yeah. and, thing.
0: and it was. I was like, wow, this, this is the culture. This is great. You know, like you can speak a different language and you still have the same people. You still have the same influences that you know that we've all essentially grown up with in this industry.